today's reading is Acts chapter 10, the entire chapter. Here's the word of the Lord. <clears throat> At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a, a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Afternoon, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the man, to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with, them, with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house, praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon, 
Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of people of peace through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses of whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely, No one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Charles, for that sermon. Don't worry, the sermon is not going to be as long as, I mean, that's ridiculous to say, but it'll be about 35 minutes. I mean, it's Mother's Day. You guys need to enjoy. I mean, not everyone here is mothers, but happy Mother's Day to those who are. Um, For me personally, I've been doing my part um, on the pastoral staff. Uh, Today, one of the female pastors were supposed to preach, but I stepped in and said, hey, it's Mother's Day. Pastor Jen, Pastor Lisa, Pastor Pat, you know, take a break. You know, God bless you guys. So... I have been doing my part as uh, celebrating Mother's Day for the staff. Uh, Actually, uh, right now I'm in my last year of seminary. Um, I only have a couple more classes left, praise the Lord. Um, I've been studying in Alliance Theological Seminary up in Nyack, and my focus, my concentration is missions. Um, You know, as you guys, some of you guys know, at New Mercy, we go through several trips through Mercy Global, and we have long-term partnerships. Uh, And it was through Mercy Global and all the trips that I've been on, I knew that missions would be part of my life, and I knew that I needed a little bit more further theological studies and training. Um, And so far, um, all I've learned 
had uh, at my seminary studies is that the center of Christianity, which was once in the West, it was in America, it was in Europe, in Canada, is now being shifted to the parts of the East and the South. Where the church is once thriving um, in the West, it's now be- it's thriving in parts of Africa, parts of Asia. And for me, you know, we've been preaching on the book of Acts this whole uh, month. Um, and it's kind of bittersweet for me to go and tackle this text because uh, on one hand, I know how real it is for the people where Christianity is thriving, where the Holy Spirit is really moving. You know, going to all these different mission trips, I've seen the power of the Holy Spirit empower ordinary people to glorify an extraordinary God. So the things that happen in the book of Acts are just a normal part of daily Christian life in parts of Cambodia, some of you guys have been, parts of India, parts of China. And it's not to say that at New Mercy and in our community in Bergen County that we don't see the work of the Holy Spirit, that we don't see the work of God. I know people's lives that have been directly transformed by the Holy Spirit and healed. Yet I just feel like it's not the same magnitude as what's going on over there. So as we study the book of Acts together, I hope, and it's my prayer, that this becomes normative for us, that we desire that the the church of Acts would be a prescriptive um, thing at our church too. Oh, by the way, I didn't introduce myself. My name is... <laughs> I just got so pumped up with, the, with uh, Dr. Charles's um, <laughs> reading. But my name is Chris. I'm one of the intern pastors here. We have now three intern pastors. Um, and I've been here for a couple of years serving you, Mercy, and it's been a blessing. So, um, yeah, with that, can we just uh, open up in a word of prayer? Lord, we just thank you, God, for all the great works that you're doing all over the world, God. You are a mighty God. As we see the movement of the Holy Spirit in in the book of Acts, we know, God, that you are the same God capable of doing miraculous things in our lives today. So, Lord, we pray. We pray, God, that you may empower us, that you may move our hearts today to really receive this word, and that it may be a reality for us in our lives and our families. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, so far, we've come along with the commission in Acts 1.8. If you guys remember, Jesus said to his disciples, wait upon me to send the Holy Spirit to you guys, and then you will be my witnesses in all of Judea, in Jerusalem, Samaria, and all to the ends of the earth. Actually, uh, last week's sermon was titled, Least Likely. If it's on your bulletin, I know there's a misprint, but today's sermon is actually called To the Ends of the Earth. And it's called that because we see that in today's text that the final piece of God's mission has been launched through the Gentile mission, through the conversion of Cornelius. Last week, Pastor John preached on um, Saul's conversion to Paul. Uh, He said that Saul was the Pharisee of Pharisees. His righteousness came from following the law to the T. And so because his message directly opposed the gospel message that grace is given freely, salvation is given through grace, a gift, he was out persecuting and killing Christians. He also insightfully correlated that it's similar in our day as someone like Kim Jong-un or an ISIS rebel leader converting to Christ and saving that whole nation and that people group. But we come upon this text today where we see Cornelius. We see him described as a good man, as a man who's filled with prayer, who fears God with all of his family, and also his actions convey 
good stuff too. He had great reputation among his, the Jewish community. He also gave generously to the poor. Furthermore, he was a centurion. His position was a high military leader. Today's equivalent would be like that of an army captain. And he influenced and he commanded about 100 men roughly. The word, the root word that comes from century and centurion, it's the same, 100. So about roughly 100 people. If you could put up the picture of the centurion that I pulled up. You see this, this image? is pretty cool. The guy in the back commanding. This is what um, they think that a centurion would look like. Well, he got that hat. He has that, you know, all these, like, that armor. He looks pretty, you know, like, heroic. But we need to also remember that during this time, 60 years before Christ, the Roman Empire is the ruling empire over the Jews. And so oftentimes, the, the, the Roman Empire actually treated the Jews poorly. So for us, when we see that image of a centurion, we may see something that symbolizes like heroism, bravery. But when a Jewish person in that context saw a centurion, that actually represented an enemy. That represented something that was different. But you know, it's really interesting because today's text is not the first time the Bible mentions a centurion. The centurions have been mentioned a few times, uh, just different characters in the New Testament, and they've always been represented in a good light. If you guys remember, there was a centurion at Calvary, at at the death of Jesus, at the cross, and the centurion was next to him and he said, this man was surely a righteous man, recognizing that he was God. If we look in Matthew 8, I want to read that for you if you have that slide. It says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done, just as you believed it would, and his servant was healed at that moment. So you see, out of all the people that Jesus encountered in his life and ministry, the person that impressed him the most was a Gentile Roman centurion. I'm just so amazed by this text because I kind of think of it this way. I mean, imagine if Jesus picked you as the person who had the most faith in all the tri-state area. He said, you, I'm so amazed at your faith. But that's who he says about this centurion, this Roman centurion who was not even part of the Jewish community. This text in Matthew 8 actually serves as a foreshadowing of today's passage, but I'm going to come back to that later. I just wanted to show an example of centurions being shown in a good light. So then the question is, why? Why would the Bible talk about centurions who, are, who represent the enemy of the Jews in such a good light? Is it possible that, he, that God does this to break the prejudices and the barriers that the Jews have of the Gentiles? And we see this today in today's text. Cornelius is not described as a broken man. He's not described as a messed up guy. He's, he's actually portrayed as a good guy. He's portrayed as a man who has much influence. And this is the kind of guy that 
God chooses to start the Gentile mission. And for us Christians today, we do similar things. We're not that far off than than God's chosen people as the Jews in the Old Testament. We look at non-Christians, and it's easy to judge, and it's easy to see them when when we're working with them, when we're we're friends with them, and we see their brokenness, and we say, oh, this guy needs Christ. It's it's obvious he needs Christ. But how often do we recognize that there are non-Christians around us there are Muslims around us, Buddhists, agnostics, atheists, who actually can even display the image of God better than we can. Uh, that, that might be a bold statement, but do you guys know non-Christians who are more generous than you? Who love their families better than us? I mean, it's possible. I, kn- I know for sure that I do. But we also know that salvation without Christ is not enough. We know no matter how much Cornelius prayed to God, or who he thought was God, and gave generously to the poor. If he did not know Christ, he would not have been saved. But today's text, God comes to Cornelius through an angel because he sees Cornelius' heart. He sees his heart of repentance. God does not save him because he simply deserves it, but God is gracious to those who seek his will. And we see that today, that Cornelius sought God. He sought after God. You know, him... um, being generous to the poor, it was a, it was an action that came from within his heart to please God, even though he did not know who God was. And we know people like this in our lives. You know, for me, I, I personally, as I was writing this sermon, I recognized that I did have a centurion in my life, someone like this. Um, you know, in high school, in college, he was a close friend of mine, and after college, we lived together. Um, he always had a great reputation. You know, everyone loved him. He was a great listener, very insightful. I remember in college, you know, in college you're all broke, my freshman year. Um, he'd be the first one to pay for all the meals, you know. And, you know, sometimes you go out with friends to eat, and, you know, they're keeping a mental tab in their, in their mind. And they're like, you know, and you're like, oh, I got to pay him back. But with this guy, you just knew it was just out of the generosity of his heart. But the thing was, he wasn't Christian. He didn't know Christ. As the years went on, he, the Holy Spirit worked in him saw the desire for him to please God, and he got to know Christ. This brother, actually, he's in our church. He's a, one of our deacons. His name is DK. And if you guys know him, you guys would admit, yeah, I, I, not many people have any bad things to say about this friend. But you see, his character wasn't necessarily different now than he was before when he was Christian. But simply, the truth was that his will and life is now, was now aligned with God's purpose. And that was the biggest transformation that I've seen in DK's life. And we see that in today's text too. God sends an angel to Cornelius because he sees his heart through his prayer and actions. And he tells him to go to Peter. So then Cornelius sends two of his servants and he sends his, um, his soldier to Peter. So at the same time that Cornelius is uh, encountering uh, an angel... And the Apostle Peter, you guys remember him, he's a disciple of Jesus, the one who denied Jesus three times, and the one who um, Jesus restored and said, Peter, you're the one I'm going to build my church upon. He's seeing a vision. And I just want to give you a quick summary of the vision. He's seeing um, the earth, the whole earth, being covered by um, the corners of a big white sheet. And under the sheet, the sheet's coming down, and there's all these kind of different animals, reptiles, and birds. And the Lord says, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, surely I will not. <clears throat> but in order to understand this dialogue between God and Peter, we need to understand the social and cultural background during this time. 
In the Old Testament, God had chosen a specific people group, the Israelites, to show his divine love and favor to. He chose them to bless them so that they would be a blessing to all nations. This was, the mission of God didn't start here. It started from the beginning when God created the first person. He said that, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to all nations. But along with that blessing came a set of laws, came a set of rules. And these laws were set up in a way to distinguish the Jewish people as God's chosen holy people. It was to be set apart. So things like circumcision was a sign of that covenant between God and his people. And another important distinguishing marker was also the dietary laws. God said what was clean and what was unclean so that they would be set apart from the Gentiles. But the sad thing was that Israel took this as a sign of favoritism and then social and cultural barriers were formed because now they, they viewed the Gentiles who were eating things that God deemed unclean, and they saw them as unclean. And a Jew couldn't even enter the house of a Gentile because they ate unclean foods. So you see, when God is saying to Peter in today's vision, kill and eat, and, and Peter responds, by no means, Lord, he's actually responding from a place of his Jewish religious piety. God had given him the law a while ago and, and saying, these things you should eat, and now he's telling him to eat. So he's inwardly perplexed. But you see what's going on right now? Cornelius is being sent to Peter so that he can receive the good news. But Peter already has an agenda. He has a a different mindset of who the mission of God, who the mission field is. So in order for Peter to bring the good news to to Cornelius, God must first deconstruct his cultural and traditional worldviews that are in direct opposition of the gospel. So this is why God chose him the vision. You know, we've been going over uh, Peter a lot, I feel like, this year. We've been uh, seeing a little bit of his ministry and his life. And I really like him because he's so outspoken. He's so opinionated. He's so stubborn. And this isn't the first time he actually says no to God. You know, when Jesus predicts his death on the cross, Peter is the one who says, no, you're not going to do that. And then Jesus rebukes him. He says, get behind me, Satan. But what's also more impressive about Peter is that he allows God to reshape and mold his thoughts. Yet his opinions may not align with God, but he allows God to do that. So you see that in today's passage. And it takes a combination of different things for Peter to discern God's will. First, he sees the vision. But he, he's able to know that the vision comes from God himself. Because he's in a time of prayer. He's in a time of intimacy with the, with the Lord. You know, Peter was hungry at this time. How did he know he wasn't tempted by Satan? How did he know that it was not Satan's voice saying, you know, eat something that God didn't tell you to eat. It's because he was able to know the voice of his shepherd. And secondly, he was able to take physical signs, coincidental incidents that affirmed the meaning of, his, of this message. When the three men came um, from Cornelius, God also spoke to, uh, uh, to Peter three times in the vision. And so he was able to put two and two together. But lastly, he also wanted to make sure that he was in alignment with God's word. And so that's why he's so hesitant to accept eating the food, because he knows that it's not in alignment with God's word. But the thing is, Jesus directly spoke about this issue in the past. Can we put up the slide for Mark 7? This is what Jesus says. And Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. 
Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their hearts, but into their stomach, and then out of their body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So you see in this passage, Jesus makes it clear, completely clear, it's black and white about foods being clean. But Peter still doesn't, is not able to remember this for some reason. Peter's cultural blinders prevented him from seeing the truth, so much so that it took a vision from God to speak the truth to him. So you see in this text, we see the first conversion of a Gentile to become Christian, but we're also seeing the conversion of Peter in his mindset and worldviews. And we see this because Peter acknowledges that God has given him new insight into his own cultural blindness. In verse 34, when he's preaching his sermon to the Cornelius and his family, he says, now I see that God shows no favoritism. So before he, did, he didn't see that, but now he does. So for us too, in order for us to identify the people in our lives, the centurions in our lives who so desire the gospel, we need to let God challenge our preconceived biases to reshape our thinking about who the mission field is. You know, we all here must admit that we carry some kind of cultural, racial, and ethnic bias that prevents us from seeing the truth. We need to ask ourselves, what do we think about other nationalities, other Asians, other African Americans, Hispanic immigrants, Muslims, Caucasians, and people of different um, social, socioeconomic um, you know, strata? What do we think about them? See, the thing is, we cannot let... We cannot decide who deserves God's love and mercy. And so Peter here, he was kind of doing that. He, he, had, he was mistaken, but he allowed God to correct his formal way of thinking about people. So to summarize up to this point in my sermon, I've stated that first we need to recognize, learn to recognize who in our lives desire to know the gospel. Because God does say that there are people around us. He said the harvest is plentiful. But secondly, in order to be able to recognize these people, we need to let God reshape and confront our own old patterns of thinking. And lastly, this is, for me, I think is the most important piece. We must submit the orders to our commander. We must submit to Jesus. And we see this in Peter today. You know, Cornelius, his friends, he gathers his friends and family. He knows that something special is about to happen. He knows something good is about to happen. He doesn't know what it is, actually. But he knows an angel of the Lord came to him, spoke to him, and said, something is happening. Go and get Peter. But what if Peter never went? What if Peter never went to Cornelius? You see, it's not enough that we go and display our good acts as good Christians to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our family, but we must go and preach the good news. If you could put up the slide for Romans 10, 14 through 15 the word of God. He says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You see, this, this verse is not talking about preaching from in the pulpit 
It's not talking about preaching just from pastors. It's talking about the church. It's talking about us. It's talking about his people going out to our communities, to our workplaces, our families and friends to preach the good news. You know, I want to go back to the the Matthew 8, um, if we could put that slide up. Uh, Matthew 8, um, context of the centurion. Um, So today's passage actually becomes a fulfillment of this encounter that Jesus has with the centurion. And I want to show you how. You see, Jesus recognized this man's faith, right? He was so impressed with it. And out of that, he said, people will come from the east and the west to take part in the kingdom of God. He's gonna, we're gonna, they're going to dine with uh, the, the forefathers of the faith. So he's saying that Gentiles also will come from all over to take their place in the kingdom. But there's two things that are going on that, are, that really struck me and that, that really kind of blew my mind. You see, the centurion, when he first came to Jesus, he said, don't come to my house. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy for you to come. And at first, I thought it was just it was humility. It was a place of humility saying, I'm not worthy of someone so holy to come. But actually, there's more going on. He understood his role as a Gentile. He understood that Jesus was a Jew, and he was also a rabbi. And for him to come into his house, that was a cultural taboo. That, you just couldn't do that. And we see that today, too. Even when Peter enters Cornelius' home, in verse 28, he says, the first thing he says out of his mouth is, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But then he says, but God has shown me not to call anyone unclean. So you see what's happening there? Even in Jesus' life, there were racial, ethnic, cultural barriers. But it took the death of Jesus for those barriers to be broken. Secondly, what I see out of this text is the centurion is saying that you ha- Jesus, he recognizes Jesus for his authority. He says Jesus can just say the word. He said the centurion himself can say the word and his soldiers will go and do whatever he asks. But Jesus has authority over all things. And so he recognizes spiritual power and authority. And so Jesus just says the word and his servant is, is healed. In this text today, what Jesus does is he sends Peter He doesn't send his Holy Spirit just to go, but he sends a Holy Spirit-empowered person. He sends a Holy Spirit-empowered Peter to go and preach the good news. And you know, for me, this this is the bottom line. This is what we're called to do. You know, I've been, like I said, been a lot of mission trips, been a lot, lot of different countries, and the thing that I see over and over again of why the Holy Spirit moves so powerfully is because simple, ordinary people obey Christ, and they do as they're told. And it's so hard. I'm going to be the first to admit, it's so hard in our context. Like I said, the center of Christianity is evaporating from the West to other places. But we are the people of God, and we are the Spirit empower people of God. So we must be real with ourselves. We must ask ourselves, are we really doing what Jesus asked us to do? When he says go, will we actually go? When he says do this, will we actually do it? You know, Hudson Taylor, he's, um, he's a uh, famous uh, missionary to China, uh, Pastor Wanjay. He took his name, Pastor Hudson. Um, and he says this, He says, Christ is either Lord of all or is not Lord at all. 
And this is a really sobering, sobering quote. Because we must admit, if Christ is not Lord of all of our understanding, all of our mind, and all of our actions, then we cannot admit that he's Lord at all. So I just want to take a time just for us to respond to this challenging message, to this challenging text, that this is actually what is happening in Acts. This can actually happen in our communities, in our, in our churches today. So can we just take uh, just a minute to just pray and reflect? Just a couple of things that maybe we can reflect about. Um, can we just ask ourselves, um, who around us in our lives are the centurions around us? Who are the people that desire to know God? And we see that. We see that. But also maybe some of us, there are things that are prohibiting us from seeing them truly as they are. Let's ask God to illuminate some of the barriers that we have formed about certain people and what they represent. Are we really looking at the outward appearance of a person? You know, 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I pray that we may be a people that sees what God sees. And lastly, I just pray this for all of us. This is, I feel like this is the most important thing for all of us here. Because we need the strength to obey. Sometimes we know like God's giving us that nudge to go and share or, or go and love someone. But let, let's pray, God, give us the strength to obey and submit to your will. So that when you tell us to go, that we'll go. When you tell us to do something, we'll do it. And that we may confess that, God, that you have not been Lord over everything in my life. And that we want to come and submit to your authority. Let's pray.